Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Roaring Glory podcast. Again, I've forgotten what season this is <laughs> and what episode. What I do know is we're talking about John Owen and his work, The Mortification of Sin. Let's go. I screwed it up already. It cleared my throat during the intro. I, I like the screw-ups. It's good. Well, you've got plenty. No, not yeah, you. Yeah, because... <laughs> no. You've got plenty to work with here. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize very little. So, <laughs> what are we doing? Talking about Johnny O? J-O. Yeah. J-O. J-O, you know. Yeah. We have started this series on the Puritans and the Puritan works. Our forefathers in the faith, our teachers in all things holy and right. And we started with the granddaddy of them all. JB. Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm. Now, we thought a logical next step was to go to another major work that most people who know anything about the Puritans know this. Yep. The Mortification of Sin yep. by John Owen. Yep. It's John Owen, not Owens. Right. Get it right. It's on the front of the book. It's hard to get wrong. Well, if you don't read the book, well, which might happen. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you're like, oh, I don't need to read it. Oh. That's cool. Well, if we Glad do it know. right. If we do it right. <clears throat> yeah. So what was your first encounter with this book? Was it this for this? No. It was, uh, this might have been the first Puritan paperback from Boehner that I ever bought. Wow. I think I've had this. For some years. Wow. I, I think I've had this long enough that I maybe purchased it at Midwestern Seminary when their bookstore was still a Lifeway bookstore. Oh, shoot. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah. And that's impressive that Lifeway had that in there. Yeah, because back then they had like Justin Bieber had a book about his fate or somebody wrote it about no, his fate. Yeah, not Probably surprised. didn't even talk to him about it. Probably not. <laughs> Ghostwriters. Stupid stuff like that. So glad that they have switched now to their own. Yeah bookstore yeah. got rid of lifeways bookstore i'm free to say that <laughs> yeah I you you can say i yeah i just finished my last class for the semester there at midwestern not lifeway <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, yeah. I don't lifeway has nothing to teach you no they skip all the hard stuff yeah romans bible study skipped romans 9 <laughs> right in the middle of the study this is not an episode about lifeway no but, but we could do one. I could do it. <laughs> I better stop. So my first uh, introduction to this book was from John Piper, mm. who said, I've heard him say that he reads this book, uh, I think, once a year, or it, this is the only book outside of the Bible that he's read more than once. So I was like, okay, well, if JP's going to read that multiple times, maybe I should check it out. Now, I made a huge mistake when I went to check this book out because I thought I was intelligent and so I bought the unabridged version, and I found out how stupid I really was. So, so the first time I read this book, it was n not as helpful as the last or the the second time I read it. The first time I was very depressed because I only understood <laughs> the, the parts that were hard. The S's were F's. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite that bad. It oh. was like English spelling, but it was it was terrible to understand. And we don't need to do that. No. 
We don't need to do that. No. It's not helpful. No. So why would we waste and it's time? And it's not like when you read an abridged version, they're translating from another language. Right. They're just yeah. modernizing some words. Yeah. Yeah. And we need that. So, but I, yeah, I digress because I thought I was smart, but. I digress. So the second time I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know all this was in there. And, uh highlighted a bunch of stuff and felt almost the exact opposite response to the first time I'd read it. It was just like complete and utter joy. Rabbit trail. Is this what people experience when they switch from a King James to a <laughs> like an ESV? I don't know. I was never a KJV guy. Uh, I I was NIV young, so it was like the uh, the last okay version of NIV. And then... Wait, That's what they call it, NIV young. No, I was young. Oh, I was young. It's like sorry, I'm missing no church language. It's like a late '90s version of NIV or something mm. like that. And then went to college and was NLT. Oh wow, which was not helpful. And then ESV, and I've been ESV since. But I also like the NASB. You know, I started on the NASB. Oh. Mm-hmm. Solid beginnings. Yeah. And then I just went to the ESV because that's everybody that I was studying with and reading was using the ESV. And mm. I did my research and found that it was pretty comparable with the NESB, just a little less wooden, a little less. You had a wood Bible? Well, the language, oh. a little easier to oh digest. You need to abridge your language for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you have an intro for this? Yeah, man. The mortification of sin is an exposition on Romans 8.13, which says, what, Andy, if you put to death the deeds of the flesh? Uh, yeah. If by the Spirit. If by the Spirit. There you go. You, That's a major part of this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Yeah. This this was one part of a big major two part work that Owen was doing on holiness. Mm -hmm. And so he decided, I need to get some of this stuff out so people aren't, because they knew he was writing it. Yeah. And he was like the preeminent theologian in England at that time in the 1600s. Yeah. Which, by the way, John Owen, born 1616, same year Shakespeare died. Does that make him a contemporary? No. No, it doesn't. No. No. <laughs> I was trivia. <clears throat> but kinda. Okay. I don't know what makes someone a contemporary of somebody else. It's gotta be you gotta be alive at the same time. Well, were they? No, it was the same year. So right. probably not. Probably not, but Or maybe. They couldn't have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can't talk baby. No. Well, no. No. So, so that's what he's doing with this, and so he the first one he published out was uh, the of temptation, I think is what he called it, mm. from Matthew twenty six four, and then he came out with the the backside of this. Well, how do you how do you make sure and mortify mortify the flesh that that does tempt you? Mm. That's what he does in this book. So isn't it, I I think this is just another side note about the puritans it's amazing that they take and write whole books on one, one verse one verse like okay 
So if you think you've got the Bible completely on lock, uh-huh. you don't. Yeah, like just yesterday I preached on two verses. Mm. And there's a lot more to do there, but I I felt like I did enough. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's more to do. Yeah. That's always you the don't, case. Yeah, you don't get a 30-minute sermon and have it have it done. Right. Right. And sometimes even one word Mm. Well, kind of what he's doing here is the one word. Yeah, yeah. Put to put to death. Yeah. What is death? Yeah. Of? Yeah. <laughs> I I love it, and it. I think it should be an example for us in our Bible study. Like, mm-hmm. go deep. Go is ring it out dry. Yeah. See, here's where we run into a problem in our age and culture: is we have too many other things to do or too many other things we want to do or used to doing. So we don't get the full scope of Bible reading like these people got. So yeah, do that. Take a word or phrase of Romans 13 and say, well, what is what does it look like to do that? But then also be able to read all of Romans in one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Or all of a gospel in one sitting, which yeah. is about two and a half hours long if you're in Matthew or Luke. But... <clears throat> um, or John, I guess. Uh, so that's what these guys did. Yeah. And that's why we have these books. Yeah. That's why they're helpful. <laughs> and it's and it's weird because John Owen was this awesome scholar and did stuff like this. This is just like a small piece of what he's done. Yeah. Don't you have all 24 volumes or whatever it is of... No, I don't it's have... condensed? Yeah. It's it was 24 everything. volumes. Yeah. And it's been condensed into... But that doesn't even count as commentaries. Oh, okay. Well, like there you he's go. He's got a whole set of commentaries on Hebrews and then... Oh, that's counted in there too then. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. So, yeah, this is just a little bit of what they did. And even even him who did this and 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 had such great faith in these things and knew these things, he still saw other men that may not have been as learned as he as better preachers. Mm-hmm. That he couldn't even do that. Yeah. Yeah, he he was definitely seeing the glory of Christ at work in other men. He wasn't so consumed with his own work or his own yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, for him to speak of Bunyan in an envious type of way, but in an honorable envious type of way, is yeah. that possible? Yeah. He did it. Yeah. That uh that that tells you how humble these people were. They didn't think of themselves as anything. Yeah. Any big deals. Although, you know, if he exists today with the way that we're able to create several celebrities instantly with social media and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm sure he would have had a lot more to mortify with <laughs> pride and Yeah. Yeah. But back then really he couldn't keep track of your book sales that well. He couldn't uh So another side question, is it is it a blessing for pastors who have a small church? Um, yeah, can be. Can be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, you mentioned John Piper. Yes. That's how you found out about this. Yes. T4G, the last Together for the Gospel Conference, just took place after Easter. Um, and John Piper preached on basically the application of the cross. It wasn't just to 
get us reconciled to God to heaven, but to be reconciled to God is to be a holy people from now mm. on. Mm. To live as his people is to live as a holy people. And so I'm sure that that message, a lot of it came from this. Yeah. I'm sure he knows that book pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> That's staying in there. Amen. All right. So the intro to this book, are we? Are you through your intro? We can get to his Well, intro? maybe we need to intro John Owen first. Oh, yeah. Because people, I like to know who I'm, who's talking to me. Well, dish it out. Born in 1616 to a Puritan family, okay. by the way. So I think that's unique that he's he was a Puritan his whole life. Mm-hmm. He grew up in this. His dad was a minister, all that sort of thing. Um, entered Oxford University at how old? Uh, 15? 12. Oh, my. 12 years old. <laughs> Oxford University. Graduates by 16. Ugh. Has his master's. By 19, um, yeah, just incredible. Started pastoring, though, at 27. At 27. Wow. So he'd been through all that, but yeah. still not allowed to pastor huh. till he's been refined. Hmm. Um, invited to preach at Parliament by the age of 30. And he was... Does it say in your little notes there, he was the personal minister to, was it Cromwell? It wasn't Cromwell. Uh, yeah, Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell's chaplain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought this was crazy. His first wife died when he was 59, and then he remarried a year later at oh, wow. 60. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and then he dies at uh, 67. In 16... 16- 80. 83. Oh, yeah. <laughs> math. Yep, my math is bad. So that's a rundown of where he was and what he did and how, you know, how he did it. Um, anyways. Yeah. Nice. That's good to know. It's good to know. He was, he did have contemporaries with other famous Puritans we mentioned. Oh, yeah. We mentioned him on the last episode we did mm. on... On Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Paul Bunyan. <laughs> on John Bunyan yeah. about... Uh, they Dakota both raised that. oxen. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so he was not a one-man show by any means, and he wouldn't have considered himself that either. But That's, yeah, and that's what um, happened when he, he left Oxford. He was becoming this nonconformist, which meant back then that they rejected the use of the Book of Common Prayer, which... Um, they were required to use in their yeah. church services under the current uh, Church of England in that in that place. So he was asked to leave the Church of England and all that stuff because he would say nonconformist, and then went on to serve a nonconformist congregation during the last period of his life, and that was in London. There's a lot of interesting um, history, national history, and governmental history during that period. Uh, I think Bloody Mary was reigning around the time he was... Um, well, when he was born, Charles I um, succeeded James I. And James... Let's see, did, did just James before Bloody Mary? Wasn't James like the little brother? I don't remember now. Or, I don't know how that all went. Uh, Reeves. 
what's his name? Michael Reeves yeah. does a whole uh, lecture series on the Puritans and, and the history within the English government and the, the world at that time. And he does a really good job of, at giving um, interesting details as to their lives and the persecution that they faced from not only the government, the kings and queens, but also mm. their peers. Um, and even among themselves, they had disagreements on what it was to be biblically based. Uh, yeah, it's weird to think about a society that um, was all about making sure that the church conformed as as a part of the state. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Henry VIII kind of started that. Well, he didn't start that, but he uh started the Church of England. Right. And uh made sure it conformed to his sinful desires. <laughs> right. So, and then yeah. they just kept going like this was a legitimate thing. Let's yeah. uh keep this party. Yeah. Let's keep this party rocking. Yeah. That's what they said. Which is not biblical. Yeah, but. Bloody Mary died in 1558. So, yeah. oh so, wow, I was. Anyway, she was way off, way out. Of no, there. I was way off. Way Shit. off. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, this book, man. Uh, what do you think? What is something important that people need to know about this book? And by the way, it's not a huge book. No, it's not. Yeah, so it can easily be read in a. In a few days. Yeah. No big problem. No, I don't think so. No. Especially what? if you get an abridged version. Yeah. Yeah. Or is you this what you have in your hands, the whole, what is this? This is a part of a set that Banner of Truth does. Uh, it's a John Owen set. Andy has a green cloth overboard. Yes. Volume from the great works of John Owen. <laughs> Reproduced and published by Banner of Truth Trust. That is not an infomercial. Um, so it's like a six or seven volume set that, that Banner of Truth puts out. And there's like two works per book. And this one is the last, I don't know, I'd say quarter of the book. They're not really very big books at all. So this one, there's 14 chapters and the chapters are relatively short. Uh, does yours have 14 chapters? Yep. So if you read... Even just a chapter a day, which would sometimes take five to ten minutes, at the most twenty to thirty minutes, maybe to read one chapter, you'd have it done in two weeks. That's pretty easy. But um, so, in my version, he starts off by mm -hmm. he gives us the text and he mm -hmm. says this is the main text and foundation upon which this discourse is based, and then he tells us what he sees yep. in the text, and then he's going to get like use the rest of the book to just lay into that basically mm -hmm. so he sees five things here he sees to whom it is directed the condition of the promise the means of accomplishment uh, a duty to believers and then a promise to believers as well you were just saying last night how uh, those puritans love to talk about duty and yeah it because it's it's interesting for me and i think for our cultural context because in the church we don't talk about that very often and if we do, it's mostly talked about in a very legalistic, almost like law-fulfilling manner. Like, you have to do this to prove that you love Christ, so do it. Like, your actions should be proving that you love Christ, but Owen is going to tell us how that yeah. works. And yeah. it's not 
not how it's often portrayed. If we talk about it at all, it's that way. If we don't talk about it, it's like, well, uh, he's a god of grace, so whatever. I found this book, Paul's, he uh, he uses the um, uh, the the tension of the text in Romans eight eight thirteen, or the burden of the text in Romans eight thirteen, which is the duty put to death the deeds of the body. Mm-hmm. He uses that to investigate what that would actually look like or what mm-hmm. that actually means, and so you're like, wow, okay, this is a big deal. Yeah. This seems difficult. Can I do that? Can I follow that pattern? And then he and then he gets to the um the way or the means yeah. the spirit. Yeah. Because that's what you corrected me when I was quoting that by the spirit. And he saves that for the end of the book. Yeah. So you go through this whole book and you're like, whoa, all right. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll try that. I'll do that. <laughs> and then it's like, well, wait a minute. You're you're not going to be able to do it. I think that's right. how he starts the book too, is first of all. Mortification isn't for people yes. that aren't saved. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, I yeah, I love that he starts it that way, and he he kind of gives us a rundown of like why the flesh must be mortified, why it is that Paul says in response to his own question, "Should we sin all the more that grace mm-hmm. abounds?" By no means, and so it's kind of his idea there is like, here's why it needs, has to be, has to be, not just needs to be, but like has to be. Yeah. And then he gets into that, like we, you were saying, uh, who it's for. I love, too, there's, and I probably wrote it down or underlined it somewhere, but he said that like the work of mortification is not for unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And so he's basically telling us, why are you concerned about unbelievers living in an unbelieving way? Like, not not in the sense that we shouldn't share the gospel with them and want them to believe, but we shouldn't be expecting them to live a godly, obedient life. Like, no, they don't believe, they don't have the spirit of God to enable them to live in a certain way. They, they're they going to live as unbelievers. So don't bash them over the head with all these legalistic uh, obediences because that's what it would be for them, just legalism. It wouldn't be yeah. any kind of fruit. Yeah, he says somewhere in here, and I'm trying to find it, that, if he finds a man who's not saved in the business of mortification, he's not going to try and pull him away from that, even though it's fruitless and hopeless. But he's going to bring him to the gospel mm, yeah. first and then go back to mortification. Um, and, yeah, he he goes into that when a sin's not mortified, but when it's only diverted, when, when somebody just changes what it is that they're yeah. sinning in. Yeah, and he gives They're just that, changing masters. Yeah, he, he gives an illustration uh, again in there where he, he says "You, it's it's not a sin, or well, he's talking to a believer or a pastor at this point, I think. He said you, you should be telling them, like this is part of ex- expressing the gospel and, and in a loving way, like don't try to, Basically, don't try to bandage your finger when your when your arteries yeah. are flowing blood out. Or when, or when you have a fever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says deal with the fever. Yeah. Deal with the, the core issue, which is sin, which is our lusts mm-hmm. and our desires uh, to rebel and disobey and fulfill the desires of the flesh. Yeah. And uh, this, is a, this is the most 
important thing that the Puritans really do is they show and explain from Scripture what a holy people look like who are indwelled with the Spirit. Because as a guy that you and I know by the name of uh, B.H., he uh, <laughs> had this illustration of, uh, I think, Ninja Turtles. Or maybe it was an NBA player. I don't know. I think it was Ninja Turtles. But he was he was saying, if you had the essence of a ninja, ninja turtle come to live inside you, are are you gonna not yeah. be able to do karate? Yeah. Are you not gonna be able to be a ninja? Are you, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. that analogy breaks down a little bit because you know mutant turtles, right. but uh, <laughs> but with the spirit living inside you, are yeah. you not gonna be able to mortify the flesh? Are you yeah. not gonna be able to live as God's holy people? And what he's trying to help communicate is with the, all the Puritans is, yeah, you will. Yeah. But that's why that's why he says it's the, this work is for a believer. Yeah, yeah only. I also, I thought chapter 5 was um, super helpful. Uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of like he started in on it and you go, golly, this looks really difficult. And then he, he kind of gives a reprieve almost at the start of chapter 5 anyway. He says, To mortify a sin is not to utterly root it out and destroy it, mm-hmm. that it should have no more hold at all nor residence in our hearts. But I love it. He qualifies it. It is true that this is what we aim at, but we will not be able to accomplish it in this life. So, Yeah, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this yeah. or I'm already perfect. So yeah. Paul knows that's yeah. where it's coming from. Exactly. And that's, I think that's a, a sort of a comfort. It shouldn't be a means of justification for our sins. No. But it should be, um, because I, I know from experience, the um, just the distress of sinning. It's like, wow, well, I must not, I must not be a believer because I, I'm not killing this totally. Like, it's not totally gone. I'm not totally perfect. And well, you're not going to be because you're human. Um, yes, we aim for that. We desire that. But just understand that's not what's going to be accomplished here and now. It has been won for us, and we will see the fulfillment of it at our death and the return of Christ. So, chapter 6, then, he talks about what mortification is. He goes through a few instances there. Um, talks about what uh, opportunity does and when uh, temptation rises and how we are to weaken temptation constantly. Um, I highlighted a whole quote. I won't read the whole paragraph here, but uh, he's, he's giving the illustration of um, a man at war and knowing his enemy and thinking strategically about how to defeat his enemy constantly, um, that that idea and that approach is how we should be thinking about killing our sin. Always aware that our flesh is out to kill us, which there's that famous quote we haven't gotten to yet, but um, so I may not ruin it. We'll just use it later. Um, but we should always be aware of what sin is trying to do to us, what our enemy is trying to do, and what our flesh is trying to do, and to be considering the ways in which it tempts us. So if a certain situation 
that we find ourselves in leads to a temptation. We should resist being in that situation at all times. So, yeah, this book is not about how you complete this once and for all. Yeah. That will be completed. Right. Um, not by you. Right. And this is how to to live this way. Yeah. And John Owen's the one who said, in this book, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You just took the, you did it, you did it's it. It's a present active indicative um, that I hope that's true. Stole uh, the most famous quote right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. That is the quote from this book. It's on everything. And it's the summary of this book. It is. The only thing that quote doesn't do is is tell you that the spirit yeah in you is like doing how? that yeah yeah are you, are you gonna utilize that or are you just gonna say oh well i can't right do this yeah and maybe we should now talk about unless you had something else well just from that same chapter <laughs> i wanted to read uh, another quote because he this is kind of we're almost halfway through the book here and so it's like Okay, I think I have a grasp on what mortification is now, what you're talking about. And then he's going to get into, like, how. But this quote, I think, kind of sums up what he sees. Like We were talking about earlier what it's not. It's not a total rooting out here and now. But this is what I think John Owen, well, he wrote it. So this is what he thinks mortification would be here. I'm going to quote, When man can quietly and in a calm frame of spirit search out and fight against sin and gain the victory against it and continue in the peace of God, then sin is mortified in some considerable measure. So just a couple of things like consistently, quietly, calmly seeking out and fighting against the sin that's in our own lives, like recognizing those temptations or those areas in which we find ourselves most tempted, um, and then gain the victory against it and continue in the peace of God. And so that that should be like, okay, here's the here's the point of what mortification is. Now, how do we do it? And that's what he's going to get into in this next part of the book. But I thought that was a good summary of what he's what he's telling us he looks for. Yeah. Yep. That is the first half of the book. That is the burden that's laid upon us to mortify or to kill or put to death or however you want to say it. Yeah. And then something that I think a lot of Christians struggle with is, okay, we're, we're commanded to do these things. Mm-hmm. We can't do them on our own strength. So what does it mean to utilize or to live in or to do these things, you know, outside of your own strength? And that can be real confusing to think about or real spiritual in a mm-hmm. sense. Like, I think we spiritualize that. But anyways, uh, Owen does a great thing by just simply giving us considerations. He says, By faith, fill your heart with a right consideration of the provision that God has made in the work of Christ for the mortifications of your sins. And by faith, you ponder this. And, and so you are not able then to conquer it yourself but you're able to understand how it is conquered and the powerlessness of it over the power that worked to separate you from it in a in a justified legal sense Hmm. so if if that if that powers at play 
then the battle can be won because the the sin does not overcome mm. the the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. It never did and it never will. Yeah, it can not. Yeah. He but. says he says this helped the prodigal when he was about to faint that there was enough bread in his father's house and he knew that. Mm. He knew where to go. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah, and he ends the book that way. Secondly, raise up your heart in faith with an with an expectation of relief from Christ. Mm. Yeah. If it seems slow, wait for it. If it will surely come, it will not delay. Habakkuk two three. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. Uh, God will give you a way of escape from every temptation. He was uh, a high priest, a man able to uh, sympathize with our temptations, yet never sinned. He's able to help those who are being tempted, Hebrews 2. With confidence, then we draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need, Hebrews 4. Yeah. So he he brings it all home and he lets us know that mortification actually from First Thessalonians, um mortification is part of our holiness or being made like Christ who is holy. Yeah. Therefore, what First Thessalonians tells us, this is the will of God. Yeah. And are you going to is the will of God not going to take place? Yeah. I think scripture would speak otherwise. Yeah, the end of First Thessalonians, Paul says it will happen. God will see to it. Yeah. So what's a what's a pastoral application on uh, the lessons in this book? Well, I think um, there are several places in the second half of the book that Owen talks about um, what it looks like to put to death, and you've talked about that too. But just communion with God, reading scripture, prayer, seeking, truly seeking him out. And funny enough, the other half of this book, the other volume within my my two-volume book here is Communion with God, which is another work that Owen wrote. And I think they go aptly together. You're not going to kill sin unless you're in constant communion with God. I mean, um, my wife can attest to this, that I am a much different person when I don't spend time with the Lord than when I do. Uh, which is, <clears throat> yeah, which is the essence of, of mortifying. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't do that, you won't, you won't kill it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you're not more focused on uh, him who is holy. Yeah. And if you're more at peace in the world. Yeah. Then in peace with him. And another thing I was I was thinking about this today after class actually that sin is is like the manifestation of the state of your heart and the state of your communion with God prior to the sin. Uh Rachel and I were talking about uh in the Old Testament that story where I can't remember his name, but they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem and it's oh like wobbling gosh. on the cart. I just read that the other day. That's funny. He's wobbling on the cart, and he thinks he's going to fall off, and he goes yeah. to, like, touch it, mm-hmm. and God strikes him dead immediately. Yes. Even Spurgeon was telling me about that the other day. 
Dang, Andy, you got to bring stuff up, and I don't know, I can't reference it. Well, I'm not a computer. Let me tell you what we were talking about, what we were thinking, and you can comment on it. That in our Western minds, we think, oh my gosh, how terrible. All the guy was trying to do is make sure that the Ark of the Covenant stayed on the wagon and God struck him dead. Like, what? what is that about? And so we just think, well, it must be like... It should be just to tell us the holiness of God, and that guy just had to pay the price for all of us to see that. And in some regards, I suppose, yeah, you see that. Like, God takes his holiness seriously, and God takes his commandments seriously because he told them not to touch it. This guy was a Levite, too, I think, right? Mm. Yeah, man, I'm just trying to look it up because I just saw it. He should have known. If he yeah. was, a, he should have known under no circumstance can you touch that. So, what we were talking about was how it is that this guy got to the state where he thought he needed to stable the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And it it was a heart condition prior to that moment. Like, this moment was probably very reflexive. Like, oh, oh it's falling, I gotta catch it. But why did he act in that way? Because he didn't believe God. Mm-hmm. And prior to that instance... He was not considering God's holiness. He was not in communion with God prior to that moment. And so his, his, reflective, his reflexive uh, response is sin and to disobey and to not honor God's holiness because he hadn't been in communion with God uh, or considering God's holiness. Also, very probable that he had made an idol out of the ark and considered it to be God, or at least um, a, a such a holy symbol of God that it couldn't touch the ground. But if he would have been with the Lord, his immediate response would have been, that thing's about to fall and I'm about to see something awesome, like God's going to make it levitate or something. Because <laughs> like, does God need him to hold it up? No. So if he would have been considering the Lord's holiness prior to that moment of a reflex he would have been more consumed by seeing God display his glory than by thinking he had to uphold God's glory himself. So your reflex to temptation should not be um, a burdensome, oh, I've got to make sure yeah. to conquer this, but Lord. Yeah, yes. Spurgeon, in his uh, lectures to his students, quotes old John Stoughton. You know old John Stoughton? I don't know old John. He's usually down at the feed store. <laughs> um, you can catch him there. Bad mouth his wife, probably. He says, if Uzzah... Oh, okay. Or Uzzah? 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 Must die, but for touching the Ark of God and that to stay it when it was like to fall. If the men of Beth Shemesh for looking into it, if the very beasts that do not do but come near the holy mount be threatened, then what manner of persons ought they to be who shall be admitted to talk with God familiarly, Mm. to stand before him as the angels do, and to behold his face continually, to bear the ark upon their shoulders, to bear his name before the Gentiles, in a word, to be his ambassadors. Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord. Holiness. 
but come at thy house. And that should just make us in awe. I think, Christ. yeah, my, uh, and that's what I underlined in that. I said, I underlined it and then I wrote off in the uh, margin, only in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess uh, my final word on holiness as pertains to why uh, Owen would write this book um, would be that, that you would find more comfort, joy, and peace and safety Mm. in the holiness of God uh, than in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And Owen says actually that exact thing, like your your joy and peace in some manner depends on your mortification. Dr. Thor Madsen said this to me one time. He said, isn't it an amazing mystery how a sinner goes from desiring sin to then desiring the holy things of God. He said, how <laughs> amazingly yeah. crazy yeah. is that transition? Yeah. And that would be salvation. Yeah. You should be holy for I am holy. Yeah. And he will make us. He will sanctify us. He will surely do it. <laughs> Read that before. Haven't you? Yeah. Well, that is John Owen's work, The Mortification of Sin. Obviously, we're going to highly recommend you pick that up and spend two weeks to read it. It's it's well worth more than that. Um, but but two weeks is definitely doable. I'll revisit it because it is. The way he <laughs> write, You know what he does sometimes, which it's, I'm carrying this on, but it's funny because he'll say, he'll start talking about something and then he'll say, okay, now I'm going to explain it. And then he'll explain it, like one, two, three. And then he'll take point two and go a b c and then he'll take point b and go one two three yeah and then you'll get carried away and all these but but actually he knows what he's doing it's not a mess it's just he's following a train of thought that we should follow to think mm-hmm. about these things and then he wraps it up in a nice little bow so it's a nice work to revisit all the time because it's it's a it's helpful reminder of how this works mm-hmm and if this is our sanctification, which is the will of God, then we should be aware of how it works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then we will be less um, able to succumb to the schemes of the evil one. Yes. Amen. Should I kiss the mic now? Kiss the mic. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Lest he be angry. And you, you perish in the, in the way. way. Bible. Psalm one or two. One. I think it's two, actually. Psalm two. It is Psalm two. You're right. Yeah, yeah, Psalm two. All right, folks, please go pick that up. Please visit RoaringGlory.com for more special things. (laughs) We have special. (laughs) We're going to have copies of this in uh, the Holt First Baptist Library as well. So if you're a member. It's becoming a world-renowned library for a church. It's it's becoming unmatched. We're going to get it there, but we're not quite there. The the world will come to see this. <laughs> we can only hope. We yeah. can only hope. Uh, if you have questions, shout us out. Uh, there should be like an email button. Info at RoaringGlory.com, yes. Or you can uh, fill out a, a little question on the website. It'll send it to us. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely write you back because nobody asks us questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For future listeners who go back... <laughs> 
to relive the genesis of Roaring Glory. If you're listening to this in 2032, we're not riding back. Sorry. Who knows? You know, I can't say. I might own a horse by then. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll let you know where we're at next time, what we're doing soon. Stay up on the newsies. <laughs> Tell them you love them so I can stop this. <laughs>